Welcome to the Vibrant MD Podcast, where we discuss weight loss, women's health, and food. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Awad, a family doctor and certified weight loss coach. This podcast is informational, but is not meant as medical advice. Anything you want to change after listening should be discussed with your own doctor and personal medical team. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Hello, my vibrant friend. Thanks for joining us today. I am thrilled to have a guest today, Dr. Rashmi Shram from Florida, who is a family doctor and very well-versed in the Ayurvedic arts and meditation. And that's how I know her is through um, meditation. And we're talking today about Ayurveda and what it can do for us for weight loss. So welcome and thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Shram, please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so like you said, I'm a family physician. I've been practicing for a couple of decades now. And for at least 12 or 13 years, I've had a, a big interest in not alternative, but integrative ways that we could improve our own health. And a lot of it started because I was seeking answers for myself. And so I've been diving into Ayurveda, particularly Ayurveda lifestyle, as well as different types of meditation and going fairly deep into those practices and trying to bring back what I have learned both in in-person retreats, in-person programs, as well as online membership and other programs that I do as well. I'm trained as a coach as well, just like you are. And so I, I think they meld so well those properties of being able to coach someone through whether it's meditation or Ayurveda lifestyle. So I'm just grateful to have this opportunity and to be alive in this moment. Amazing. Thank you. Well, most of the people listening are midlife women, people perimenopause, menopause and beyond. So, you know, what can you tell us about Ayurveda that could help us with? you know, weight loss and health and all those things. Yeah. And I'm also in midlife. So I totally am like so grateful for your podcast, so grateful for the work that you do. And Ayurveda, so just to even define it, Ayurveda literally is just a, a study of life. It's the study of the, the science of life, if you will. And it is a fairly comprehensive way for us to look at different parts of our lives and ways that we can flourish in different parts of our lives. And so in Ayurveda, we sort of come at whether it's, you know, midlife or later in life or even during childhood, um, we, we come into this concept that we are already whole and complete as we are. And really all of the quote unquote ailments that we may have are a result of some kind of imbalance. And of course, that can be from the external world. It can be from internal and so it, it begins as a subtle imbalance and then it becomes more and more, more solid, if you will. And so it, it, the idea in Ayurveda is if we are diligent and careful enough and kind enough to ourselves to pay attention to these imbalances and we work towards correcting the imbalance, that perfect health is our birthright through all parts of our lives. That's beautiful. I love that that emphasis on that we come already whole and perfect because that's something that I try to impart with my clients as well. And balance, that's amazing. So in midlife, uh, a lot of people end up with problems in perimenopause and menopause 
with it's hormonal, but it's a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of stress or feeling like they don't handle stress as well as they used to. Or even people get frank panic attacks during the day. They wake up with them at night. All these cortisol problems that are a moving target as well. And what would you say about those? Yeah, <clears throat> I hear that for sure, right? <laughs> and, the, and, you know, it is also a big time of transition for most women too, isn't it? I mean, you know, we might be transitioning in our careers. There may be shifts happening at home. And so I think all of those play a part. And of course, the hormones, you know, these big kind of bursts of cortisol and all the other things that I know that you talk about in there play a big part as well. And I think, you know, Ayurveda in and of itself is a consciousness-based healing system. And so what that really means is the the very base of it is this idea that not just are we whole and complete, but also what part of this acceptance, surrender, mindful practice can we bring into what we are experiencing now? And so meditation and mindfulness are the very base, if you will, of Ayurveda. And that's how I think those those kind of come in. And yoga is, of course, a sister science to Ayurveda and yoga is also meditation. And so I think that meditation can have a huge set of benefits for women in midlife and certainly beyond that. And I've seen that as I've worked with women as well. I think we have similar, you know, kinds of people that we tend to help. Those who generally are very hard on themselves, they can have a harsh inner critic, they can carry a lot of um, emotions with them. All of the things that make us these gorgeous giving creatures and also hold us back and have us holding on to whether it's weight or something else, it, it can be a little bit difficult to let go and it can show up in all kinds of different ways, that stress, right? Like you just mentioned panic attacks and difficulty sleeping. And that's where I, I really think it's not a one size fits all, you know, as far as when I say meditation and mindfulness, and it's not the answer to everything, but it can be something that perhaps we can utilize a little bit more than what we're doing now. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about, about that, because, you know, when I met you at first, I was doing a, a nighttime meditation with you and your group, and that was very calming. And then there were people in the group who said, oh, I only do this in the morning to get more energy and focus for my day. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this meditation can do anything. Yes, that's right. So one of the most popular types of meditation that I am grateful enough to facilitate is called Yoga Nidra, also known as NSDR sometimes, which is just non-sleep deep rest. And you're exactly right. And we can use it as a tool and also as a way to transcend the usual kind of overactive mind, that logical analytical mind that's constantly judging everything, including ourselves. And so we just use it as a tool. And so you're right. For some people, it shows up as an activating thing. And for some people, it can be really, really calming. And the same exact meditation may actually do different things for you as well, because it depends on what you needed at that moment, right? So if it's at the end of the day and you are purely exhausted, then that tool is there for you to just release what's not yours anymore so that you can come into you as Dr. Awad as this kind of like, hey, I'm winding down for the night. Whereas in the morning, it might, it might actually kind of have you move some of that energy up those energy channels, if you will, so that you can feel more energetic. Nice. Nice. Did you read the book Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shamin? His work 
intersects a little bit with what we're talking about today, right? The the voice of the judge, that inner critic that's very loud and how many people insist that this helped them <laughs> get where they're going. And so they want to hang on to that voice, right? They're like, it got me through grad school. I know that a lot of doctors feel like it got them through medical school. And, you know, what would you say about, you know, how that works for us and doesn't work for us? Yeah, I think that's really such a good question that you just asked. So what I would say is this is they're not wrong. It's not binary, right? Like maybe there's yeah. some kind of gray zone there that we can sort of look at with some amount of curiosity. And mm-hmm. I completely get that why we would want to hold on to that really super critical judge because, well, goodness, we know that judge really, really well. And that judge can predict, boy, can it predict. And one of the biggest human needs that we have is this idea to know what's coming next. And so even if we predict this terrible thing, then it's like, oh, it's kind of comfortable because we know what that's like. And you're absolutely right. I used to think the same way. I was like, oh my gosh, if I didn't flog myself internally, how could I possibly gotten through med school or residency or any of the myriad of accomplishments that we get rewarded for from the outside world? And what we know for sure, for sure, for sure, neuroscience-based, right? So Chris Germer, Kristen Neff, they've done tons and tons of studies in this and lots of published studies that show that if we give ourselves permission to let that judge go, meaning if we give ourselves permission to practice self-compassion, because they go kind of hand in hand, it's like sort of a continuum. If we give ourselves permission that we actually end up being more successful. So then the question becomes in my mind, like, oh my gosh, what else could I have accomplished at a young age if I didn't have that inner critic, right? Like I did it in spite of that harsh inner critic. And so I think just even asking the question of like, could I be a little bit curious about what it would be like to practice self-compassion, which means letting this inner judge and this harsh inner critic at least not have the rule of the land. Maybe maybe this judge will never, ever go away completely, and that's okay. But like, how can we coexist with this harsh inner critic that gives us capacity to be a little bit more graceful towards ourselves and still accomplish all the things that we want to accomplish, right? Like, I mean, what you're talking about is 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 that middle path of like not complete renunciation, which sometimes I do want to do, actually. <laughs> if only. <laughs> it's not possible. Or this like super duper, like this hedonic treadmill where we're constantly striving, striving, striving and never feeling whole and complete. There's definitely something in the middle and it's messy. And it involves recognizing the inner critic. It involves bringing in self-compassion. It involves kind of like forging our own path, especially, I think, through midlife. Because I think at that time, we start saying like, if not now, then when? You know, there's it becomes an urgent a kind of question that we can ask ourselves. Right. And like you said, families transition to our relationships with our partners change. And our relationships, you know, those of us with children who leave, <laughs> that changes a lot. So there's a lot of transition there. How about people who hear that critic voice and those really negative voices when they sit quietly with their own thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's when they get really loud is when we get to sit with our own thoughts. How do you approach people who say, I don't feel comfortable sitting with my own thoughts? Yeah, people do say that, right? And one of of the types of things that we can do, well, we can do lots of different things. Some people really aren't able to sit down and close their eyes. That doesn't feel safe for them. And so we start with just simply moving. We simply start with 
hey, is it possible for you to turn off or turn down all the devices or just even remove yourself from devices, whether it's AirPods or your phone or whatever, and just take a walk for 10 minutes outside and notice what is what is there to be noticed, like with your five senses. So what what, what are some of the things you're seeing? What are you hearing? And some of that can actually start to show up as one of the most powerful ways for us to practice mindfulness there is, right? Like we can, we can be mindful when we're washing the dishes. We can be mindful when we're, you know, when we're walking from the car into work or the car into the grocery store. We can just practice noticing our breath as we're standing. There can be so many different ways that we can do that. And yoga asana or the postures is specifically designed as a way for us to practice mindful movement. So sometimes we'll just start there. But a lot of times when people want some level of depth and or mastery for something like self-growth, self-awareness, then they get more and more curious about, hey, what is this meditation practice all about? It, it doesn't mean they have to meditate and it doesn't mean they have to sit in lotus posture at the top of a mountain, you know, cross-legged. And, and it, it really just becomes this curiosity the idea that maybe we've given our thoughts a little bit of attachment and a little bit more power than they actually have over us, right? And so those thoughts are not who we are. We are not our thoughts. We are not our emotions. It doesn't mean they're good or bad. That's just not who we are. And so that's actually what a meditation practice is about, is bringing a little bit of gentleness and a little bit of grace into this idea of, yes, and right and this too and so some of the most powerful meditation practices we we can just sit still and just notice our thoughts come and go because the thoughts have to come and go otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't we would have five million thoughts all at the same time and so when we give ourselves permission to notice that we're not our thoughts that we're not those emotions then there can be a little softness to it and so those would be the two ways that i would approach it i would say then, then see what you can do to just be with a movement, noticing the senses, right? And then if there's some curiosity to sitting meditation or lying down meditation, we might just give ourselves permission to feel what's there to be felt if it feels safe. Now, if we're talking about someone who has a lot of unhealed trauma, and that is absolutely some, you know, a very real scenario, then perhaps they can just stick with the movement movement or they can stick with a guided meditation where they can have their eyes open anything like that works so there's lots and lots of variations i like what you said about even everyday mindfulness um coming into this because i hear this was a surprise for me working with coaching clients over the years that they that they had some things that were already kind of meditative or zen or whatever um that that was already there like one person we talked about that she loved filling the sink with hot soapy water and washing the dishes. That was like a, a beautiful moment for her in her day. You know, I personally have found that even though I don't want to be the person who cooks every day, I love stopping and chopping an onion. It's just like very, you know, it's like the meal is beginning. I'm chopping the onion. It just feels very mindful and very beautiful. You know, even if, you know, my eyes are getting irritated. So maybe, you know, for some of our listeners to think about, is there something in your day already that you could kind of lean into the beauty of how you feel when you're doing something, you know, very ordinary, maybe? That's exactly right. And that's, you know, we call it the 24-hour meditator sometimes of just being with what is. 
because the mind can continuously pull us back into the past or have us moving directly into the future. There's just a lot of ruminations that we can be doing. And, you know, the reason that we're even talking about this, right, is because of we have so much data now as to the link to our satisfaction with our lives, with not just weight loss, but just healthy, you know, mind, body, all of those things are exponentially increased if we have even a little bit of some amount of mindfulness practice. Like, you know, I love that idea of chopping the onion to begin the meal. And we must have similar cooking styles because all of my meals begin with chopping an onion. <laughs> so, and, 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 I, and I, you know, what you said totally resonated with me as well, because I do have to stop what I'm doing to, you know, go and prep and make, make dinner. And sometimes I'm not at a good stopping point when that time comes. <laughs> and so I have to notice that I'm irritated, that I'm frustrated and accept that I'm irritated and frustrated so that I can allow that to be there because guess what? It's not permanent. It's usually gone by the time I'm chopping the onion or, you know, some, somewhere in between the onion and the garlic and the tomatoes. It's, it's usually, <laughs> but, it, but if I try to resist it, man, then I, it shows up as some kind of irritability during dinner with the people I love the most. And so that's a, that's a mindfulness practice of just noticing I'm pretty irritated right now. <laughs> I like that. Allowing, allowing what is. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Could you make a comment to, I, you know, I've worked with you with meditation. I do actually also connect with Shurzad Shamin's group and he has some meditations and they're all different. So I think that some people have tried something and said, well, I don't like that. So I don't like meditation. And there are, you know, some groups that, that give you a lot of time with your own thoughts. And then there's some groups that talk a lot throughout that's very, very guided throughout the whole thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about those differences and how, you know, how people who might not like one thing might like another? Or, Yeah, I, this is such a great question. So meditation, the way that I think of it is just the journey from activity to stillness. And so uh, it is the fastest and strongest way for us to build up our mindfulness muscle and mindfulness We've, we've used that word a lot, but I also like to define it just in case because there's all kinds of hashtags about it. But mindfulness generally is the awareness that arises when we are paying attention to this present moment without judgment and with curiosity. And so in, those are those are kind of the ways that we can be. And you can imagine that there are multiple flavors of meditation, just like you just mentioned, right? And that there's not one right way to meditate. And there's not one right way to practice mindfulness, right? It's a practice of acceptance and non-judgment and curiosity. And that can come in as many flavors as there are human beings. And so some of the some of the things that I say, if one type of meditation didn't work for you and and you're right, you know, I think they do have a lot of really valid meditation practices there. There's also, you know, lots of really good apps too that some people really enjoy. If if something there isn't really necessarily like magnetically attractive to you, then I would say really truly some of the simplest most powerful things you can do is just sit down close your eyes and notice your breath for two minutes and you can just start from there right because the breath is 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 the connector to from the mind and the body and it is free <laughs> sit down and close your eyes and, and notice your breath and we can start to have all kinds of different insights if we do something that simple and we only start with two minutes or three minutes or four minutes or you know kind of go from there to five minutes or so and really, when people come to work with me, most often they have tried some other type of meditation and they've either said, I 
don't like it or I want to learn more about something else. And so the types that I teach, one is a mantra-based meditation. Mantra just means mind vehicle or mind instrument. The other is Yoganidra, I just mentioned that. One is fully guided, just like you said, and one is you're on your own, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily on your own because we're always connected, but but both of those are really deeper practices for a certain level of mastery for certain there's there's a certain kind of like attraction to some level of depth that's there rather than sort of staying on the surface when someone comes to work with me and so i would say one is not right and one is not wrong it just depends on what it is that you feel called to try and if one doesn't work i say try something else because we have many options right that's terrific you know i would really encourage our listeners to experiment with this a little bit. You know, I remember feeling like at some point around 40, this hashtag mindfulness thing, <laughs> it was just everywhere. And it was a little, you know, you start to feel like this is overdone, whatever, whatever. I don't want to pay attention to everything. But then when, when you have these hormonal changes where you start to feel more on edge all the time and need to manage yourself, then, then I got a, a big curiosity for you know, meditation and some of these deeper practices of stillness, like you said. And I and I would encourage our audience as well that we'll talk about this, that to connect with Dr. Shram online, because she also does, you know, tastes of free meditation that can be had when you find her online. And those are a great way, again, to be curious and open and, and try something and try some different styles. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mentioned before, I mean, it wasn't some benevolent cause for me to sort of like start teaching these things, although now it feels like it is my life's work. But but this idea, like I needed to find some healing for myself. I really wasn't finding the answers and the harsh edges around traditional medicine, which I there is no way, nor should we ever denounce it in any way, shape or form. But I believe it to be an incomplete picture of what is there for us. And so what I could not find the answers there for what I now know was sort of like this chronic stress, burnout. I just didn't have any answers there. And so I started to look into this, not because I thought I would ever teach, but because I needed it for myself. And I think the reason that I teach now is because I still need it for myself. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, you know, we just mentioned this hashtag mindfulness thing, and it was so irritating to me back then as well, because I was like, oh my God, this is like so, you know, it's like, it's it's a very, uh, kind of feels a little fake, feels a little faux sometimes, right? And that's how I felt it too. And recently I met someone who just knew me as a meditation teacher and I met her in real life and she said, oh, you're not, you're not at all like what I thought you would be like. And I thought, well, this is interesting. This is curious. So, you know, so I'm, I, I can be loud. I, can, I laugh a lot. I, we make jokes and That's the whole idea, right? It's the idea of having some sense of lightness of being because we we get to live these short, tiny pieces of life. And if we can't laugh at ourselves, if we can't have some lightness and enjoy some amount of stillness in this fast-paced hustle and bustle, then we might lose sight of why we're here. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm going to pop in with a little little thing here. You know, when cortisol bumps up, it works against weight loss. So it's why it's very important for us to have this discussion today to help us with our stress reduction and and also the discomfort of having cortisol that bumps frequently or erratically, anxiety and panic attacks. And I do want to just let our audience know too that meditation is for people who 
need medication and do not need medication, who want medication, do not want medication. It's for all the people. So I don't also want them to know that it's, you know, for everyone and, and not an either or thing. Like you said, it integrates and, you know, medication is never going to be perfect for those who have it. So it's also a, you know, a way to, to self-manage. That's that's right. I love you bringing that in. And there are now at least, you know, two, maybe 3,000 studies that, that have been published just within the meditation space itself with all kinds of different meditation practices that show us that indeed long-term cortisol is reduced. And indeed, there are a whole host of other neurotransmitter hormonal changes that tend to happen in folks who have even the tiniest bit of a consistent practice. And, you know, those are bumps and things like our feel-good hormone, serotonin, it bumps in DHEA, which is kind of that youth hormone. And all of those are like seesaws within the cortisol realm as well. And even the brain changes that start to happen, the physiological brain changes that happen with meditation are really astounding as well and can give us access to being able to respond to stressors as they're happening versus reacting to them. They can give us access to emotional sort of like this freedom, if you will, not that we won't have emotions, but that we have freedom from the grip of some of the emotions where we might be reacting in certain pre-programmed conditioned ways. And a lot of that really just stems from having higher levels of awareness. And that can help us just move through with a little bit more skill. Not that we're better than anyone else. There's no one person that's better than anyone else, but just having a skill to have self-compassion, compassion for others, empathy, and the softness that we're not really conditioned for, certainly not as women. Although it feels very natural to us to give it, we're generally not accepting it of ourselves or to ourselves. Thank you. Let's end there. That's That was beautiful. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So please tell our audience how they can find you. I will. We will make sure that this is in the show notes so you can find it there, but go ahead. So my website is just my name. So it's rashmishram.com. I almost always have either a free webinar or a, a kind of dip your toes in kinds of meditation programs you can join. I have a deeper mindfulness slash membership as well that you can look into as well. I have a free YouTube channel with lots of meditations there and I can make sure that that's there as well. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes on TikTok if I don't get drowned in there. So please find me. Let's connect. <laughs> Thank you again. It's really been great to have you today. Thank you so much.